Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you along with Sarah Scholes. We're talking about her latest work. They are already here. We'll talk a little bit later about one of her books that she wrote several years ago called Making Contact, a story about Jill Tarter. Jill, of course, uh, is an American astronomer, but her work was uh, working with SETI as well. She knows Seth Shostak. Fascinating person, Sarah, that she is, isn't she? Yes, absolutely. She's, uh, you know, she's been at the head of the search for extraterrestrial intelligence for for decades, which is a hard thing to be the head of. Absolutely. And the reason why I brought up the God question is, is I wanted to get your thoughts on the very perplexing question about how we got here, what we're doing here. And, you know, I don't think it's an accident that things are just too orderly and too, they just make sense that there's got to be some divine intelligence behind it. How it got there, I don't know. But uh, I just think there's some kind of order. How about you? Um, I mean, I think we definitely live in a universe that is tuned in such a way that uh, that we can be here. And, I mean, when uh, when physicists talk about that, they often talk about a thing called the anthropic principle which is really that if it if it weren't a universe that were suitable to us then we wouldn't be alive to be thinking about it and so that's one answer to that question that that doesn't involve divine uh anything but um uh yeah once again george another question i don't have the answer to but but you but you're right it is a tuned universe to be sure my next question would have been who's the tuner Uh, it's me. It's been me all along. You did it. You 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 originated all of us, right? Correct. Correct. You're welcome. Thank you. You mm-hmm. did a good job. Thank good you. Job. Where do we where do we go next with this research? I mean, how do we get this answer that uh, all of us have? And the questions that all of us, including you, are looking for, just you know, what's out there? Are there extraterrestrials? Have they visited here? When do we really get that definitive answer? Yeah, I think a lot of people would like to know when. Um, I mean, it's it's a good time for the SETI side of things, looking for uh, cosmic cousins out there in the universe that are not here. You know, for a long time, people have been searching for a specific type of radio signal that we think intelligent aliens might broadcast. And now uh, SETI scientists are kind of beginning to diversify what they're looking for more they have um like they're looking for alien lasers first of all and then uh even more unconventional ideas like looking for systems of planets that look like they've been engineered to be temperate so like a set of planets that all look like the the tropics or looking for pollution in the atmospheres of stars and so i think you know, anytime you are looking for more and different kinds of signals, you're more likely to find an answer. Um, and I mean, for for the for the are they they are already here part of the question. Um, I think we also live in a, a data rich time for that. We have satellites and sensors all over the planet that we could be collecting and analyzing data relevant to UFOs on, um, and people mostly haven't in the past, but we could. Um, and there are a few private uh, organizations that are doing that. I think one called a hypergiant and another one I just came across the other day called Skyhub. And so 
I mean, coming from, as, as you said before, my skeptical perspective, the answer is always more data to draw more conclusions. But I think these kinds of systematic investigations are at least the way that I know to get it. What, a, what about people, Sarah, that have had incredible sightings, not just little things I saw on the roof of a hotel, but they see truly remarkable things, you know, texture to a saucer, uh, you know, windows, things like that. Um, you know, Kenneth Arnold, when he first spotted these back in 47, flying over the mountainsides, uh, strange things like yeah. that. What about these sightings from people? Because as I say, as I say, if you see a hundred of them and 99 of them are explainable, man-made, nature, asteroids, meteorites, 99 of the hundred are explainable. There's still that one you can't explain. Yeah, and that, that is actually something that made me kind of catch the UFO investigation bug is because, you know, a lot of the past government investigations and also the way that traditional scientists talk about UFO studies, you know, when you bring up the fact that there are there's always a certain percentage that are unexplained, no matter what you do. Um, you know, the, the classic answer is to just say, well, we could explain those other ones, therefore we could probably explain these unexplainable ones uh, if we just had some more data. But as you bring up, all it takes is one out of those that's thousands it. or millions or however many there are. Um, and uh, yeah, that's a good point. But as for, as for the truly incredible sightings, yeah, I mean, I, I really don't, I don't know what to, what to do with those. And um, it's hard because people's personal accounts are not the same as hard data and human senses are fallible and and things like that. And so from from the scientific perspective, they're never going to get the same weight as a, a radar return or something like that. Sarah, would you like to believe that there are extraterrestrials out there in the universe? Yeah, absolutely. I uh, it, it would be very strange to me to live in a universe where nothing was out there. I would even love to live on an Earth that aliens were visiting, even if that's not necessarily what I think. I would I would love to find out that that was the case. Sarah Scholes with us. Her website is her name, linked up at coasttocoastam.com. The book, They Are Already Here, came out in March, and you can pick it up on Amazon. Any other place, Sarah? Uh, Amazon's good. There's a website called IndieBound, I-N-D-E Bound, that you can get it at. And then uh, my my own website has links to a few other bookshops where you can buy it. What about the theory that these are coming from the inner Earth, that they've always been part of this planet? What do you think of that one? <laughs> I don't know very much about that one. Um, have, you've heard it. We've been, I have heard it, yeah. And, I mean, there's there's a version of it that's in some movies or or things like that i um yeah i mean i haven't seen any evidence that uh points in that direction but i would be willing to consider it if it came my way sarah since you've been doing this which has been how many years now investigating putting together these two books um let's see probably around six years because tartar came out in 17 right Mm -hmm. Right about okay. then, it yep. probably took you, what, a couple of years to write it before that. Yeah, yep. So you've been at this for a long time. What has been for you, if you were to believe this, the most compelling story that would let you believe it? It's got to be one. 
Yeah, uh, I'm going to get you converted good. yet before this shows. Up. <laughs> I know. Does it get me at 1:45 in the morning asking hard yeah, questions? That's right. Um, I, you know, I a lot of the people I talked to for this book had not themselves actually had experiences, even though they were very interested in it. And so I wouldn't say it was any of those, but one that um, John Greenwald told me about when I was interviewing him that first got him interested in UFOs, I also find very intriguing. It's a, an incident from the 1970s involving uh, Iranian uh, fighter jets trying to intercept an object um, that multiple people saw. Um, it appeared to turn their instruments off. You know, there was a mothership craft and small craft appeared to come out of it and then they landed and there was no evidence that they had landed. And then later it got cited in other military documents talking to American pilots about what, you know, that that the fact that they would encounter stuff up there that they couldn't explain. And so I thought that was interesting from, you know, from a nuts and bolts perspective. And then also from the fact that the, the military thought it was interesting enough to include it in their, you know, training sorts of documents. I interviewed uh, some of the people involved in that case, and it's uh, pretty darn compelling. It really is. What about the alien abduction people? Are they nuts, delusional, telling the truth? What do you think's going on with them? Um, I, I, I don't, I don't know the answer to that question. I mean, I think some of the things that happen to people are misinterpretations of of things like sleep paralysis, which I'm sure lots of people have heard as an explanation or, you know, the the projection of other types of trauma. But then you have people who don't have things, those things going on who experience this. And for that, I just don't, I really don't have an answer for that. What do you you think is going on? Well, I I, I think we're being visited. Uh, I I think I'll take it even a step further. I think they seeded us. I think we are they, and they come back and monitor us every once in a while. I, I think uh, there may be a group of people within our galaxy who do nothing but seed other planets and jumpstart them. Pretty interesting, huh? That, that is interesting. You should tell them we could use some assistance lately. They don't somehow get involved once they start things. They mm-hmm. kind of just, like, leave us to figure it out ourselves. Mm. Good, good scientific experimental procedure. In a couple minutes before we take calls next hour, Jill Tarter, you wrote the book about her. She's a well-known astronomer. She was the former director for SETI. How did you key in on her? Uh, it started when I watched the movie Contact when I was about 12 years old and then watched the movie and, you know, Contact is a movie about a radio astronomer who spends her life searching for aliens and then eventually finds them. Um, and at some point I uh, determined that this, this character was based on a real person. And when I, was a, when I was a teenager, I was just absolutely obsessed with the movie and Carl Sagan's novel and the fact that people got to ask these big questions like you were asking earlier. Where did we come from? Where are we going? Who else is out there? I didn't know that that was part of science. And so once I found that out and found out that was a real person's job. I just became totally intrigued by it. And she's still alive. She's uh, 76 years old. And uh, I don't know if she's still part of SETI or not. Do you? 
She has retired from uh, working at the organization, but she is on the board, and um, I don't think she's capable of not working, so I'm pretty sure she's still doing research. And Discover Magazine recognized her as one of the top 50 important women in science. That's a pretty good honor. It is. I mean, what's, what's interesting to me about Jill, in addition to her subject matter, is that there were a lot of times in SETI when SETI could have just gone away. You know, getting funding for it is hard. For a long time, it was considered fairly fringe. Um, and she is the one who championed it through those hard times, and she's really the reason that it still exists today. In uh, 2011, she delivered an incredible talk called Intelligent Life in the Universe is Anybody Out There. It was uh, in the Canary Islands. Some of the people who were part of that were Queen's founding guitarist Brian May, the uh, physicist at the time Stephen Hawking, and uh, Richard Dawkins, uh, the biologist. And uh, she developed a lot of people who followed her, and probably including you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's she is an inspirational figure, and I think unlike a lot of physical scientists, she's really good at talking about why her work is important to all of us. You know, why it matters that whether we find out if we're alone out there, and um, why people should pay attention to the sky when they could just be going about their daily lives. So Sarah, I think that resonates with a lot of people. Sarah's book about Jill Tarter is called Making Contact, Jill Tarter and the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Sarah, do you think there's anything that could move you to get you to become a believer? <laughs> what would it take? Yeah, that's a very hard question because I feel like even if I had one of the sightings that you were talking about earlier of a, a saucer where I could see the texture in the windows, I would doubt myself and my own senses. So it would take quite a bit, I think. Um, but things things like I was talking about earlier, collecting lots of this data from, from sensors and doing kind of a systematic investigation, I think. Because then, then I wouldn't have to be a believer. Then I could just know. Are we going to get any help from government? Um, I mean, it seems like it seems like we are. It seems like um, since the ATIP story came out about the Pentagon's program, even though you know I have my doubts about the the different narratives going around about that, it has gotten you know their new Navy reporting guidelines. There's the um, the r report that you mentioned earlier, the intelligence report that's going to come out. <clears throat> I mean, I think people high up are paying attention and uh, are interested, even if it's because they think it's foreign aircraft, it nevertheless results in investigation. Would you say that most scientists are non-believers that we have been visited by extraterrestrials? Um, yeah, I mean, my unscientific uh, assessment of that, because I haven't done a survey, is... Yes, I think I think that while probably a lot of scientists think that they are out there, they find it harder to believe that they have, <clears throat> excuse me, built a built a spaceship and chosen to come here. I think that's a hard idea for lots of scientists to swallow. Sarah, can people email you through your website? Uh, yeah, they can. Uh, there's a contact page on there that has my email address. 
extraterrestrial intelligence. We're talking about her latest work. They are already here. So when people open up this book, what are they going to see in that first chapter? <laughs> um, they are going to see me having a UFO sighting that I later identified, but, uh, you know, realizing what it's like to see something that I can't immediately explain in the sky. And then they're going to hear more about the revelations that first came out about the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. And uh, what do you think of Luis Elizondo? Pretty credible? <laughs> um, I have questions about Luis Elizondo. He and I spoke for an article that I wrote for Wired a few years ago when all of this first came out, although he hasn't taken my phone calls in a long time. Um, Is he hiding from you? <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to ask him. Um, you know, he says he ran the ATIP program for the Pentagon. The Pentagon says he didn't, and I would just like a resolution to that detente that they have so that we can all, um, yeah, know where, know where everything stands. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.